I'll do a quick little summary of what's going on here with this cubby house, which is gradually, gradually getting, getting there. So if at the bottom, we can all remember what that is, can't we? Faith. Faith is the foundational acceptance of the love of God through Jesus. Now we've got three sides here, actually four sides, but the three sides will sort of go together, is goodness, knowledge, self-control and perseverance. Now, if I look at my notes up there, there's a few things that says there. Goodness, the integrity that comes from reflecting Jesus' character. Knowledge, which is a personal knowledge of Jesus via an intimate relationship with him. Self-control, we all love that one, don't we? Great thing. Only with Jesus or God can we even contemplate having self-control. Without him, that's a bit of a hollow one, that one. Um, We can struggle and struggle. Perseverance. Now we've got here a temper of mind unmoved by difficulty and distress. That never give up attitude. Now that's, a, that's a great attitude to have. Now the front wall here, this nice big solid wall here, we've got godliness. Now I look at that as the reverent awe of God in every aspect of our life. And that reflects, that awe that we have of God reflects to those people around us. That is the front of the house. That's what they see. And on to today. Mutual affection, brotherly love, brotherly kindness, all those sorts of things. That looks like the roof, which is getting so high up there. Um, as, as Cam said in the last couple of weeks, the roof should be without a ceiling to how we're called to love each other. Now, my observation, while I was sitting in the pews this year watching this grand building being built, that without the nails, what would it be? Pile of wood. Pile of wood, not much use. Well, I suppose it could be used because you can use wood for other things, but it would look like that. And I was looking at the cross coming out of the cubby and you see nails there as well. Those are the nails that held Jesus to the cross? No. It was his love for us. And that's the same. If you look at the nails of this building here, it is his love that actually holds the building together. So, on to the day. <coughs> Glass of water. Worrying sign. Never mind. So, I had some musings. I looked at the word for brotherly love, and it is Philadelphia. And, you know, those people that know me well, I've got a reasonable um, imagination. So I was off with my imagination, so unlike me. So where do we start? What would imaginings be without a bit of Mount Gambia, or as the official website says, Sutton Town. Now this photo is a bit dated, because they don't have craft there anymore, it's some funny, I can't actually, Mondelez thing. Um, yes, this photo says, I don't know if you can read it there, just underneath the craft factory, uh, the sign there is, it says it's the home of Philadelphia. Well, cheese that is. Now, you may ask what that's got to do with brotherly love. 
And I have to say, it's a bit of a stretch. <laughs> Just ask my family. <laughs> they go, what are you talking about? So I got my... I've already had one accident with this today. Slippery plate. I don't know if anyone can see because I'm up here and you're down there. This here is my Philadelphia cheese. Now, where do you actually see these sorts of uh, plates? Do I dare? I don't want to make a wreck there. Where do you see those sorts of plates coming out? When you have guests at parties. It's party food, usually with a liberal array of biscuits, and as they've already gone one tumble already today, they could have celery sticks, carrot sticks, all sorts of things. But when you see that, that invokes party, getting together. And Cam brought this point together a couple of weeks ago and the usefulness of hospitality when it comes to building brotherly love. It's a great vehicle for showing friendship. Now, Jesus, he was the star when it came to looking after the people of the day. He looked on people with compassion and, and, and meeting their physical needs. Maybe not with cheese and crackers, but a story of uh, loaves and fishes comes to mind. He was often seen dining with the undesirables of his day. He sought this out as one way of meeting the people that God, his Father, was drawing near to, to God. Now that sounds, to me, like a great model to follow. Although it did upset the religious people of his day. Now, shameless plug, our Solar Rock Cafe has worked this model of sharing God's love with our community for more than two decades. October the 25th and 26th, I have to say, start thinking about how you're going to be involved, whether it's praying, whether it's baking, whether it's just being out there serving the people, showing that love to the people around us in our community. Enough of the cheese. My next example. Who follows basketball in this place? Oh, dear. <laughs> oh, dear. Anyway, those that don't, I'll try and enlighten you here. My next look at Philadelphia comes from the NBA, which is the American Basketball League. It's the best league in the world, so they would say, because they're Americans and they think that they're the best. Now, I myself have been a Boston Celtics fan for a very long time. Larry Bird was my favourite player from the way, way, way backs, and I still follow the Celtics. Now, I look at this team here, and I see... There's only two players in that new look for the next season, uh, a Philadelphia team, that are actually ever, only ever played for Philadelphia. My Celtic, Al Horford, Big Al, is now in a blue shirt instead of a green shirt. It's a bit devastating to me. Really pushes my brotherly button a little. The other two there, Josh Richardson and Toby, Tobias Harris, come from another team as well. Now, I looked at this team for next season, and Ben Simmons, the Aussie, good Aussie, our Aussie star, Joel Embiid are the only two of the starting five who've ever played there, only there. The rest have been traded in, and when everyone's traded in, someone's traded out. 
sold off to someone else. Now these guys, the owners of the team, are looking for a new loop team that will hopefully bring home the championship. Now I watch all the trading that goes on in the NBA and I see limited loyalty. Probably the same in the AFL if we get closer to home these days. And, and all yeah, they do all they can do to win the goal of a championship ring, never mind the people. Philadelphia? I'm actually not sure that this truly rings with the essence of brotherly love. I might be wrong. On to a team that we all might have been watching in the last little while. Who can recognise who this is? Oh dear. No one watches the news either. Now this team is the Australian Boomers. The actual basketball team that's been Hopefully, I don't know you guys watch the news or anything. <laughs> They've been punching above their weight lately. Down to the last four teams in the World Cup, played in China at the moment, and looking like a real chance of a medal. Well, that was until the other night. They were even dreaming of a gold medal after they won the other week against the USA in Australia, breaking a US winning streak which is unrivaled in most sports. They'd won 60-something games in a row, hadn't been beaten by anybody, and the Aussies beat them. Now, what makes this team special, and when I look at the players on it, most of them are starting NBA players, but you would have to say that they're not the stars. They're not the highly paid stars. The one that Ben Simmons, who's playing with the Sixers, is probably the most star that we've got in, in, in the American Basketball League. The core of that team is backed up by NBL players, which is the Aussie League, which is probably seen as probably down the, down the rungs of the leagues, who dream of playing in the big league. Now, I was heartened by an observation that was made this week that most of that starting five have been playing together since they were teenagers in through the AIS days. And they have been called the Brotherhood, which is a really strong term for a team. Looking at them playing, as I do, and they know exactly where each other's going to be at any one time. And some of the passing that I've seen on the telly has been, wow! How did they know where they were to pass that around their back or over their head? Bang, in, in goes the goal. It's because they lived and breathed and spent a whole lot of time playing together. They encourage each other, they're playing selfless basketball and they are winning, mostly. They're not just winning games, I think they're actually starting to win hearts within the Australian population, even the people who haven't watched basketball. Maybe. Philadelphia, maybe a bit closer to the mark. And I've got my little post note here. How they lost the semi-final on Friday night against um, Spain maybe showed sometimes when we're hurting, our responses aren't so loving. Even within the brotherhood, humanness, and come in. Some of the language was used was pretty ordinary, but I'm not saying that they're actually Christians or anything like that. If you look at Jesus, when we are, because I keep coming back to Jesus and his examples, 
He spent three years with his team showing them how to love God and how to love each other. He based all his teaching and his practical stuff on that precept. Love God and love your neighbour as you love yourself. Off the brotherhood and on to one last little quick Philadelphia. And this is a throwback to um, Chris Spencer's sermon a few weeks ago when um, he spoke about the, the Puritans moving out of Europe to America with a dream of starting a better world. Now this fellow here, William Penn, and have a look at the size of the statue they made to him. Um, that, that, that statue sits on the top of the city hall in Philadelphia. It's massive. I tried to get a picture that would actually fit both, but you can see the fellas here down the bottom, and he's huge. He was only there four years. Um, he set the place up, and uh, he wanted to set it up trying to make a place where family and community living was to be encouraged. That's why he called it Philadelphia. Philadelphia, brotherly love. He wanted a stark contrast to the cities in Europe where overcrowding and poor conditions abounded. He encouraged religious tolerance, but had strict laws that made it illegal, illegal to tell lies, to play cards, and uh, to perform stage plays. And yet, he, to he tolerated slavery. He even had his own slaves. So I don't think he had it quite worked out. Now, so was this social experiment a success on bringing brotherly love to a social structure? Not really. William Penn, that great big statue, still, sit, still looks after, over the city. That in 1994 was named, America, it was voted actually, America's most hostile place. Dreams. Reality. Now I have to say, like all cities, it has some elements of what was dreamed about and aspired to by William Penn. Looking at a short history of Philadelphia, it looks like they had periods of aspiration, followed by weakness, strife and division, followed by a new, uh, new struggle, of uh, a new round of struggle towards brotherly love, and the cycle you can see in the history has gone round and round and round. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Nothing new under the sun when it comes to these sorts of things. So, I left those musings because I thought, no, I could spend a lot of time on that, and <laughs> it's, some of it's useful, some of it's not. Um, I looked at how can I see a better example of where this brotherly love thing works. Oh, drink. Okay. I found this definition of what brotherly love or Philadelphia means. And it's by uh, Chuck Swindoll. And it says here, Philadelphia refers to treating others as if they were members of their own family. It includes living in such close relationship that we bear one another's burdens, burdens and feel each other's joys and pains. We make room for others' opinions, feelings, ideas and suggestions. Brotherly love is the key to living in a true and harmonious community. 
Now, what I see here is a lot more relational focus of what Peter was trying to describe in the reading I read to you before. And that we can't really separate each of these virtues anymore, then I can put a roof on this cubby without the walls and foundation. You see, if I've got this rafter, and this is where it gets really tricky. Um, <laughs> come on. Put rafters on cubby. Read the instructions. Now, this could be interesting. Oh, Cam and I did try this earlier. Just bear with me for a minute. Oh, hello. Now, I can have this rafter up here, nice and strong, but if it's not screwed in with the power of God, if it's not, if this, this um, brotherly love is not actually based on our love for God, then the wind comes along, arguments come, disagreements come, it's sort of like, like I've seen, again, I don't know if you watch the news, but seeing what the hurricane did in over the America way this last few weeks. It's pretty, pretty uh, destructive if you're not actually basing your brotherly love on what God has for you or already done for you. Now, back I go because I forgot one bit. Oh, now, I'm not saying I'm God or anything, but um, we need to actually rely on him to actually screw down our idea of love now, I know there's people out here who like things nice and square and straight. So I hear about that. Ah! Don't mind me. If I fall off, someone come and help. Nice, that's much better. With God in control, we actually have a lot more chance of weathering those storms to be that community that he wants us to be. Down I go. I think we'll leave the other one there just for the timing. Because it's pretty solid. A little bit wobbly. Now, without God's divine power and the help of the Holy Spirit, we can't truly live with brotherly love. When those arguments come, gossip, slander, lies, the roof blows off, it can be quite devastating. It is God only who enables us to, to um, do this Philadelphia thing. Without him, our very best can make it sometimes a bit like the city of Philadelphia. Um, but I believe it can be a cycle of, yes, I can, no, I can no, I don't want to. Yeah, so, yes, I've lost my point here. Never mind. So, yes, with my musings, I went on to the best role model I could think of, my dad. Well, not my earthly dad. As good as he was, he was flawed. But to God, the Father, and to Jesus. Now, I looked at some of the other uses of the word phileo, in the New Testament. 
And there are two standouts. The first one is the story of Lazarus. Now, I don't know, everyone knows the story of Lazarus, who is one of Jesus' good mates, got sick, and uh, yes, yes, we'll go through the story. Um, Jesus hears that his good friend Lazarus is sick, and the word here that um, uh, for love uh, used in this reading is philios. Jesus loved Lazarus like a brother. He was one of his good mates. Now he hears that he's sick, and he says this strange thing. He says, this sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory that God's Son will be glorified through it. Now, as any good friend, you think, you hear your good friend sick, they're calling for you to come, you come. Jesus stays away for two more days. How does that work with brotherly love? Obviously, Jesus was in a hurry to see his friend. Or was he actually looking at what his father had already told him? On top of this, he had his other mates there telling him, if you go back to Judea, we're going to be in strife because they don't like us there. We could even get killed. What's a man to do? Jesus' life is so based on his relationship with his father, but he wasn't insulated from the real life of the day, or in this case, the sickness and the eventual death of his good mate. On to the next bit of the story. So, after four days, Jesus finally arrives, or a couple of days, and he finds out Lazarus has been dead for four days. Whew, bit on the nose. And he has to face the music, so to speak, with the family who knew he could save the situation. Jesus tries to explain what's really going on, but he's got mixed response, as you'd expect. The guy's dead and they're mourning. And they're, 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 yes. And he comes back with another verse here when one of the sisters asks him what's going on. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live, even though he, is, he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Jesus' love for this family was looking at the restoration of Lazarus and to show the people in the family, but also the wider group, the main game. Salvation, or life eternal, was going to be freely available to all those who believe. Now, they weren't quite with Jesus as yet. (laughs) Would we be any different? Have you ever been in those situations when you feel like the world is crashing around you and you go, where is God in all this? This is the stuff that Swindoll was talking about in his definition of Philadelphia. It's not all cheer and happiness, but it's how we actually relate to people when we're going through those times. Now he goes to the grave site and he sees the grieving friends mourning the death of Lazarus, and he's filled with compassion. That's where his brotherly love really comes into its own. And the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Now, 
I've asked two truthers here, because I couldn't quite get the Bible app to translate all my Bible readings, <laughs> to actually translate for us what Jesus wept is. So if I've got my faithful assistant, Chelsea, to go and see Olamu, we'll see if Olamu can translate Jesus wept into his language. Thirty-five. Can you say it again, please? Can we actually, anyone else that can actually remember that, say that, repeat that. Say it again, please. Oh, let's we'll work on that. <laughs> Thank you, Alimu. Joseph, he's my next man. Here he is out the back. The reason I've got these guys talking these things, because this is such a strong emotion that Jesus is actually going. It transcends languages. And it's really good to try and get this into this room. Joseph. It's only uh, three words. Uh, Yesu akalia machozi. Yesu akalia, akalia machozi. Machozi. Yesu, Yesu akalia machozi. Jesus wept. That was the depth of his emotion. Thank you, guys. At short notice this morning. You're bet much better than the Bible app. Jesus was so deeply moved from when he sees what's going on. He knows Lazarus is always already dead because he knew that days before he was going to die. And he calls Lazarus from the grave. Now that still gives me goosebumps. I've heard that story from when I was a little tacker all the way through. When I ponder this event as God goes above the natural to show his love for man. And out comes Lazarus, so alive. Wow! Jesus gives all the glory to God, his Father. And as a result, so many people at that time put their faith in Jesus. And there always has to be a response to people when they see God's love. Some turn to Jesus, and in this situation, others actively plotted his downfall and his eventual death. Now, I saw this quote as I was going through. I saw so many, I thought, I've got to cut it down a little bit. <laughs> but this one I thought was really good. In the story of Lazarus, we see a God who not only cares about the sorrows of his people, but a God who is also able to resurrect joy from the grave of despair, to bring life from death. That is his business, and it should be ours as well. Now, the second one of these examples, and, and, and there's, I think, 37 uses of the word phileo in the New Testament, and this is two. There are some that are not so positive. This one's other positive ones. 
I'm sure that people know the story of Peter and the rooster. Hey, that's better than the basketball. <laughs> yes. Peter was predicted by Jesus that he would deny Jesus three times before a rooster crowed. Now this was when, at a time when Jesus would have hoped his mates would have stood by him when the things were getting rough, and they were getting rough in big time, as he had ultimately headed for his ultimate death. Peter follows Jesus at a distance, and when some of the crowd challenged Peter, he step by step denies Jesus three times and the rooster crows. Now, I don't know because I'm not Peter, but I would have thought that when he heard that rooster crow, he would have had such a pang of guilt because he'd already heard that he was going to get told, he got told he was going to do it. And he'd also had a lofty earlier claim that he would lay down his life for Jesus. He would go everywhere with him. He thought he knew about agape love and it ends in the realisation that he'd done exactly as Jesus had predicted and he had failed his mate. Wow. That's pretty despairing sort of stuff. Now, fast forward... Jesus died, goes and risen again, woohoo! And he's starting to go towards Peter's restoration. I'll read here from John 21. When they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of God, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Now, I was looking at this and going, that's a pretty good restoration. Although, if I was Peter, I'd be going, whoa, three times. It was only when I looked at, and I, don't, I'm not, I can't actually say I'm a Greek scholar, but if I, I, I trust other people that are, when they said, when Peter asked, when Jesus asked each time, um, do you love me? He uses for the first time and the second time um, 
agape, which is that selfless love, unconditional love that's willing to sacrifice, which we're going to be talking about in a couple of weeks' time in the next part, exciting series of the um, under, construction, under Construction series. So each time, Peter responds with the word phileo, the love of a friend. And I believe Jesus is deliberately trying to stretch Peter's understanding of, what, of the love he has for him as he's restoring Peter to be the rock on which he built his church, which he told him about earlier. Peter's still thinking on the level of brotherly and friendship type love. And it's really great to see, well, I don't know how gentle it feels, because the first two times he's going, yeah, yeah, I do, yeah, I do love you. Um, But on the third time, Jesus changes the word from agape to phileo. Now, that could be just a coincidence, or it could be something that's going on here. Peter's hurt, he's been, asked, he's been asked again, as he would be, and Jesus wants Peter to see that he loves Jesus not because he was God or in God, but because of the deep friendship that they had and would continue to have. It's more than the friendship that God wants. It's more than friendship that God wants, but it's a good starting point. And Peter would, over time, learn through the school of hard knocks, I think, the agape way more in the future. So much so that Peter would end up writing the verses that we began with in 2 Peter, declaring an understanding of both how both philaleo and agape love would be part of the character of the maturing Christian. And the world around the Christians would see the impact of their love for their fellow Christians and the world around them. And that reminds me of an old song, they'll know we are Christians by our love. And that hasn't changed. So, Philadelphia in a nutshell, and this is getting close to the end. So what do we have to make about this Philadelphia, this brotherly or to be the all-inclusive, this sisterly type love? I have to say, when I was looking at it, it's actually not all about me. It's about the people around us, how we interact with those people that are around us, how we care for them, how we allow them to share stuff, how we look after them is so important. Hospitality, our famous dipping, is a, a, a very good part of it. It's a great vehicle, and I encourage people to use it. It's all about team, community. It's like those Aussie basketballers being known for being the brotherhood. Or as Swindoll put it, it's family. It's a good, story, good thing to have. This is, you know, God's invited us into his family. Why shouldn't we actually be treating each other like we are all family? I have to say, it's like Peter, (laughs) it's long haul. It's not something you tick off and say, yep, I've got that. It's something we have to actually work at for the whole of our life. 
and we will have, like the city of Philadelphia, ups and downs, wins and losses. But we've got to keep the main goal uh, there. It does cost us. Who would ever say that loving someone else doesn't ever cost us? But I have to say, from my personal experience, that the benefits are out of this world. It's all about building each other up. And it is emotional, because this phileo word is an emotional type love. It is emotional. It will get us going. We might be cheerful. We might be happy. We might be everywhere in between. But it does involve emotion. It is about building each other up. And I have to say, how I started with my little model here without nails, if we don't look to Jesus and the Holy Spirit, it's not possible to fully love in this way at all, I don't think. And the early church was certainly known for it and they transformed their world. They are our heritage. They took it on so much and it is our turn to pass that on to the next generations. The people in our community, the people in our families, the people in our workplaces, how we love each other is so important. Us at the Mount Gambier Baptist Church, we have this motto that no one walks alone and I reckon we do that good sometimes and like Philadelphia, we do it not so good sometimes. But it's one of our value statements. Nobody walks alone. Now I thought about that and I thought about my Philadelphia cheese factory. I might need a hand for this. See, this is my lovely wife's lovely handwork. Give me a crash. There's a pin up there already. You can take me one other pin. We practice this. But we're good at working together. There should be a. That we could actually make this place here, and I think we already do it um, very well, the home of Philadelphia. Thank you. That's the end of my story.